Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Catherine, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself, Christy? <laughs> I'm hanging in there for sure. It's uh, nice and uh, toasty, humid, warm, and windy in Kansas. You know, perfect oh. Kansas summer. That sounds lovely. We have like this weird cold front that came through this week, like yes, yesterday or Tuesday. I don't even know what day of the week it is, honestly. I had on a sweatshirt and I was cold. Like this morning, I think it was like in the low 60s, which this does not happen in Atlanta in the summer. Like it's not riding your bike when it's like that? No, because I've had a lot going on this week. So, um, and I started a new gym because I realized I'm like super weak. (laughs) And so I'm trying to like get some strength back and they're making me do all these assessments and stuff. And I realized how much like it's a cycle that I'm like, oh crap, I'm really weak. So I, I, when I really, really started training on the bike for when I did DK, um, and then I kind of just stuck with it. I went to lift something up like two years, three years after really not doing any sort of upper body workout. I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I don't have anything left. Yeah. I was trying to carry cat litter one day and I was like, why is this so heavy? This has never been so heavy. And I was like, Oh, it's me. (laughs) Cat litter didn't get any heavier. I got weaker. Yeah. So that had to stop, but well, I know, I mean, you started a new job and you've got another project coming out with Ali Tetrick. We have a project coming out with Ali Tetrick this next week. I'm so excited about it. It came from our very first podcast I know. Episode, and you setting up some like seeds into her mind. Yeah. So, I so. love 
in Allie's mind because they blossom into these crazy flowers. (laughs) It's really funny because we got it. We just connected when we talked. And so it was just really funny. I mean, she's so personable and so fun, but we are. um, So if you haven't listened to the very first episode of Girls Gone Gravel, you need to. It's called um, Put On Your Big Girl Chamois. And we are going to be releasing on YouTube um, on Thursday, the Big Girl Chamois Show. Yep. I'm so stoked to see that. Yeah. So it's actually Allison um, interviewing people, not pros, just kind of not everyday athletes, but athletes like cool people, cool women doing um, these cool events as they have full-time jobs and do other things. And she kind of learns their story. And it is, I mean, I hate to say like something I, I didn't really, actually, I didn't really do it because Allie did the interview. And then I like begged my friend Claire that works at CNN as a producer to edit it. So I had very little to do with this, but it's really good. I can't wait to see it. I know. So if people haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, we actually have a Girls Gone Gravel YouTube channel. I mean, we'll put it on all the socials and stuff, but it's a really fun and it's kind of that whole reverse of like, um, yeah, her just interviewing people. So, yeah. Having the pro talk to the average Joe. Yeah. Or Jane. Well, <laughs> these Janes are like, yeah, I know, but, bearing. Yeah. Yeah, but, but not, they're not training as professional athletes. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but um, we have a really interesting interview this week. Oh, I loved this interview. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually with a triathlete, not a gravel cyclist, but we're pretty sure we're going to get her into gravel cycling. Oh, she'll, yeah, I don't even think it's going to be kicking and screaming. Yeah. I think she'll just, she'll just do it because it's going to be so rad. And she, I mean, she's trying to learn this mountain biking thing and I'm like, just yeah. do the gravel. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> We're actually interviewing our podcast producer, um, Taylor Mayhem Rudolph. And um, I think we mentioned last week, if you heard our podcast last week, she um, is a black woman. She, um, her, oh shoot, I mean, her mom is black, her dad is white. So she, and she grew up in Houston. And she works with Live Feisty Media, who produces our podcast. And she's just been speaking a lot about her experiences through the feisty. And it was funny because you and I both had thought we should have Taylor on and you were the one that actually mentioned it. And we're like, I haven't even talked to Catherine about this, but I was like, I've actually been thinking about it. Yeah. I'm uh, glad that she came on and, and we got to chat and I'm hoping, you know, not only from this, there's a lot we both learned, um, but there's still a lot to learn. So I'm hoping she, you know, comes back on again and we get to keep having conversations that, that are going to move the needle and turn the page on this. So, Yeah. So, um, she shares a lot of just her experiences and just some big realizations that she had, um, through the process of everything that's happened in the last six weeks in our country. Um, and so it's just a really, um, the first part we talk more a little bit about history and her background and we keep goading her on about how we're going to get her to Kansas, um, to ride. But, um, yeah, so I really, I think this is an important conversation for all of us to be having and to figure out what steps we can each take um, to make people welcome and bring more people into the sport. So um, yeah, let's get on to our interview with our podcast producer, Taylor. Hi, 
Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Christy. It's been a weird and interesting week here in Atlanta. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm doing good. Back in Kansas. And I'm um, stoked to have Taylor joining us today. <laughs> I know. So Taylor's our podcast producer. Hi, yes. Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Hi. <laughs> I know. It's so funny to be on the other side of the mic today. It's, it's fun. I'm I excited. I know. Usually Taylor, like, is on at the very beginning, and then she, like, disappears. And then she comes back on at the very end. But today she is joining us for a conversation. So we kind of teed this up a little bit uh, last week. We um, have been looking, as everyone else, at what's going on in our country and the conversation around Black Lives Matter and diversity in sport. And Christy, I don't know about your experience, but gravel cycling's pretty white. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, it's not a super diverse start line at the at events for sure. Yeah. And uh, Taylor is more of a triathlete, like I came from, but what about triathlon, Taylor? When you go to triathlon, how do you feel? Yeah, triathlon is also very white. Um, I think pretty much every race I go to, I'm the usually the only probably black female on the start line. Um, you know, it might be a little bit different at like a bigger race, but like almost always. Um, yeah, I'm the only woman of color there. Um, and I think, too, it's funny, like a couple years ago, I went to the 70.3 World Championships. And that was in South Africa. And I was like, it was very eerie to even be in South Africa and mm. to be like the only like black female competing. Like, you know, it's, it's funny that it really, it extends at least maybe not worldwide for Ironman, but it is like pretty widespread in triathlon, I think as well. That right there, like before we go too much further, I think it'd be really good to hear a little bit about your background because mm -hmm. um, you're obviously an accomplished triathlete. So, so what, 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 what is your background and where do you come from? Yeah. Um, so I got into triathlon in 2016. Um, I had started running like a couple years before that. Um, and was just like classic runner turned triathlete. Like I would run myself into the ground and like got injured all the time with stress fractures and then started riding a bike and figured out I was pretty good at riding a bike. So I was like, yeah, I can do a triathlon. <laughs> um, you know, I had to learn to swim first. Um, so yeah, I've actually, I've only been in the sport a few years, but I kind of got just really into it um, and just, you know, went straight into half Ironmans, full Ironmans. Um, and then, yeah, even started working with triathlon media. So kind of went like completely all in. <laughs> Um, all in all in um but yeah but outside of that like I was never really athletic growing up um like I did some gymnastics I like rode horses but I never did like team sports didn't run and then yeah running just kind of hit me after college I was like eh, feel pretty out of shape um and so it was just like a fun hobby that I thought I could like meet people and just feel a little bit better about myself. Did either of your parents do any sport? Um, so my mom ran in high school. She was like a pretty decent runner. Um, and then my dad actually 
didn't really run my whole life and then did a half marathon probably, you know, like in his like late forties. And so that was one of the reasons I took up running. I was like, Oh, well like I have started running. Like it's something cool that like we can do together. We were initially kind of the same pace. Um, but yeah, up until that point, like, you know, my parents would like walk on the weekends, but we never, you know, we weren't like a super athletic family or anything. Like <laughs> there aren't like medals hanging in the house or anything. It was just like something that appealed to me. So you grew up in Houston though, correct? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then did you, st- yeah. you, now you live in Wisconsin now. Yeah. So my mom is, my mom's originally from Wisconsin um, and my dad's from New Jersey. And so I was actually born in New Jersey and we moved to Houston when I was five. Um, and then I came back up here for school and just kind of stayed because I love Madison. Um, it's also probably the reason I got into triathlon because there's Ironman Wisconsin like right up the road for me every year. And mm. yeah, I don't think I probably would have known about triathlon if I hadn't literally seen it like run through the town. So um, yeah. So is your, um, did, is your dad black and your mom is white? Opposite. Opposite. <laughs> yeah, she's from Madison. Dad, yeah. <laughs> How did they yeah. meet? Uh, they both work together at a grocery store. <laughs> so my mom, so my mom's sister lived in New Jersey and, after I think after she got her master's degree from Wisconsin she moved to New Jersey and you know was just working part-time at the grocery store and she was the cashier and he was like the bag boy and yeah (laughs) history (laughs) which I think is just so funny like it just seems like such an old-fashioned way to meet you know what I mean like I don't know bag boys anymore so it just seems so like quaint <laughs> did her hand actually accidentally touch his when he she was reaching an apple across to hand it to back. Say, something, <laughs> something like that like it's just it's so funny that's, oh, that's so awesome. cute <laughs> so yeah. uh so were like culturally were you raised like kind of a mix or did you hang out with one side of the family more than the other or like yeah we we didn't see family that much when I was growing up. Um, we were really close with some of like my mom's side of the family, um, her sister. So I would see like, you know, my cousins every now and then, but like, you know, Texas is pretty far from New Jersey and Wisconsin. (laughs) So it was like, you know, you, you might see family every now and then, but we like weren't super close with any family. Um, yeah. And then, um, so, te- but Houston is a more diverse city than Madison. I'm thinking, would that be accurate? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think Houston's probably just like Atlanta, right? Like, I feel like it's yeah. Similar Atlanta's like, like yeah. majority, like definitely white is minority in the city when you get in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. That would flip, but yeah. But I grew up in a very small town in East Tennessee that was like. 92% white. Mm-hmm. And like Kansas is kind of like that too, Christy, right? Yeah, I mean, Emporia has a large Hispanic population here. Um, but um, but yeah, definitely predominantly white. So, and, and you know, that's kind of Midwest gravel cycling, 
same sort of the deal. It's like um, it was. We obviously took with Dirty Kansas. We obviously took the challenge at getting more women at the start line. Um, the next piece is you know more women of color and more people of color. Um, and I'm curious as we go through this Black Lives Matter best ways and best practices to make sure we're doing our very best to see that that transition happen and that space be open and, and feel comfortable and welcoming for sure. Yeah. What did, what have you found? Um, well, okay. It has triathlon been a welcoming community Taylor? How do you feel? How do you feel about being, cause I think endurance <laughs> sports, there's a lot that translates no matter what discipline you're doing, yeah. even though gravel's way more fun and Taylor's coming over to the gravel side. She just doesn't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I may, I could get sucked into the graveling world. That, that could happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's a hard question to answer because, like, it's something that, like, I think a lot of times with race, you kind of internalize things and you don't really, it's like you don't really realize that there may have been barriers to things initially. Um, mm-hmm. I think, like, I grew up, um, and like a mostly white school, um, and then went to college in the Midwest. So like that was very white. I went to UW in Madison, um, which is somewhat diverse, but you know, it's still Madison. It's still Wisconsin. Um, so I think to some extent I was kind of used to being in that environment. Like I was used to being around mostly white people and being in the minority. Um, so I think like joining a sport like triathlon, it wasn't a huge barrier for me. Like I didn't really think like, Oh, this is so scary or like, this is so different because like a lot of my life looked like that. And you know, where I went to school and where I worked, like that was just like a familiar place for me. But it is something like in talking to friends, like I do realize that that's like a huge barrier for people. And like, if you don't see people that look like you in like the media or in like the race materials that that can be like something that's like pretty scary. And I also think that like, you know, as a background as a runner, like I was already in shape. So like that probably helped, like maybe racially I didn't look like people, but I definitely looked like no one would be like, Oh, you're an athlete. Like I looked like I was an athletic person. So I Mm -hmm. think like it's important to recognize there's like layers of barriers and like, race was probably one for me but like well and gender but like you know there are other reasons and ways that like you can have that feeling of belonging um and like I said before like the runner turned triathlete is such a like a cliche story so I think like even that is like you just like you have that connection with people right off the bat so I never really felt like I was like blocked or like you know I didn't have any really like aggressions or anything that like prevented me from getting involved in triathlon but it was still like you know I was also coming from like a more privileged position I think where I was just more used to it um and I think you know gravel would probably be the same for me like (laughs) if I went to a gravel start line I'd be like oh these are like mostly my people like yeah you know kind of interesting perspective because you start really realizing as you hear that, you know, how much of it is color of skin, how much of it is echo, you know, socioeconomic status, like mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the, the barriers can just be so huge. Like they can go so many, there's so many layers deep, basically. I mean, yeah. I, and I think for something cycling too, like 
it's so much easier to get into than triathlon. Like triathlon, there's like the whole swim component, which right there, like having mm. facilities and knowing how to swim and like all the like historical aspects of like why black people have been like, you know, kind of pushed away from swimming and like segregation and all of that. Like I think cycling is at least starting like the barriers for entry are a little bit, it's a little bit more accessible, I think. Um, yeah, I think like that's one thing people don't realize is kind of the the pieces of segregation. I would be interested, it would be interesting to do like some studies and cycling even. But with the swim, like um, I used to coach a triathlon club in Atlanta with uh kids that were mostly um from the inner city in Atlanta um not that we really have an inner city but you know um they were mostly from uh lower income communities um which unfortunately here is typically people of color um and it was out of a kids club in Atlanta and they were like well I never learned how to swim because one there's aren't pools in our neighborhoods like there aren't um HOAs Mm -hmm. and Like, there's one public pool, but we don't have a car to get there. And then, you know, the other thing is my grandparents were segregated, so they never learned how to swim because they couldn't go to the white pools, and they were scared. You know, they were scared, and they passed that on to their parents. So it's just like this cycle. So I wonder if there's anything, like, you know, within cycling. I don't know um, that creates barriers. And, again, I'm coming from a place like similar to Houston where it's more of a city like neighborhoods could be more dangerous for cycling with cars and you know like there's not great access in certain places um so I don't I don't know the answer to that (laughs) yeah that's true there probably is like a like a safety component like you know if you grow up in the suburbs or like in a rural area like you could ride on the streets and like yeah, Houston. I would, I would never ride a bike through Houston. Like that's that's terrifying. So I think, yeah, there probably is a component of that as well. Yeah, like I grew up in neighborhoods in East Tennessee, and it was like, mom was like, "Get on your bike. Nobody ever wears a helmet. Come back at dinner time." <laughs> you know. Yep. I can imagine Kansas was like that as well. <laughs> no, I I was so upset when my mom finally made me start wearing a shirt. Because all my boy, all my boyfriends, not boyfriends, but my guy friends, they could, you know, be outside playing without a shirt on and just their shorts. And my parents let me do that till I was probably about eight or nine. And my mom was finally like, you have to wear a shirt. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, riding my banana seat bike around, you know, just, just totally, completely different than being in an inner city for sure. So, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Well, well I guess. Then, oh, go ahead, Catherine. Nope, sorry. You go ahead. Well, I'm just, you know, I, of course, and I've explained in back conversations with with Taylor and with Catherine. Like, I'm a person of action. I'm a doer. So, you know, as an event promoter, as someone that's really wants to get more people on bikes, like, what are what are some of the things that would be helpful to see um, to see more people of color at a start line of gravel events? What would be what would motivate, what would inspire? Yeah, that's, that's a big question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think now coming from like a media perspective, like I definitely think 
how you advertise and like who's in the advertisements is really important. Like mm -hmm. who is your target market? Um, it's something that I pointed out to a lot in triathlon, like getting into triathlon, if I didn't know anything about it and had never seen one, if I just saw Kona, like the Kona coverage on NBC, I would think like it's all like 40 year old white guys and like a few like challenged athletes. Like that's, who they showcase and so I think like yeah like the marketing materials are super important um and also just like knowing about the sport like dirty cans is something that I had never even heard of until like a couple of years ago and that's because I happened to have a friend who was like an elite and she you know knew about all these crazy events but like I probably never would have known about it um so I think there's also just like letting people know that gravel's a thing and also that mm -hmm. this event is a thing. Like, how do you get the word out to, like, those communities? Like, hey, you can ride your boat, like, bike off-road. We have this, you know, we have this opportunity and, like, yeah, just being able to share that with people, I think, is a, a big first step. I don't know if you guys have other ideas, too. Well, I'm telling you, you know, we're open and listening for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's been, I mean, yeah. so I've had several people reach out um, and, you know, they've said, I don't see a lot of diversity on your feed. And I, and every time, every single time I say, I would love for you to suggest some women, people of color, gravel cyclists mm -hmm. for me to follow or to highlight. And every time it's either Aisha McGowan, which I'm like, <laughs> she can't be like the one. I know. Or they just don't. They, they, like I don't hear from them ever again like they go radio silent mm -hmm. and um, you know we even had this experience we're doing these DIY gravel webinars and um, you know one of the companies said can you highlight some women of color and we were really like it It took some time and Christy and I have talked about that as well mm -hmm. and it's not that we don't want to like um, we're just trying to figure out what that is. And like, we didn't want you on here to be the token black person, right? We wanted you on here because mm -hmm. we, we care about this and we want to have a conversation and we don't know the answer. Um, yeah. You know, and we want to get more women on the starting line, period, whoever those women are. Um, that should be all women that want to ride gravel. Some people may not. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I definitely don't want to force people to ride gravel. <laughs> Except for maybe Taylor, right? I cannot wait for Taylor to cross the dirty cans of finish line. So, oh my god, um, I would probably like it, depending on how much oh. technical skills are involved. I, I don't know. I, you know, you you were um, producing the show with Olivia Dillon, and you know, she's like, "Do it, you'll love it." Um, so I just, I think that it's one of those things from my perspective where I think if you came and did it, you'd just be like, holy crap, what am I missing out on? Screw that triathlon bullshit. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. That's how well, I felt. <laughs> I'll be like aspirin. <laughs> I'm, yeah. It's, um, I and mean, that's you, you've heard our show, like every other person was like, well, I was a triathlete. I mean, <laughs> I there are no alarming number of ex-triathletes on this show that's true well that's I think, I think that my my desire for you to come is really reflective 
on how much joy and power there is in that start line and that finish line. And I want that to be shared with anybody that wants to come and do it. Um, we did, we did, um, I had some women single speeders reach out, um, several years ago and they wanted to, um, have a separate category for women. And we kind of did this. Well, we didn't kind of, I said, look, you guys get me seven, female women signed up for the DK 200 single speed and we'll make it a category. And they did, they rallied and got the women to show up and they did it. And it was one of the most, from my perspective, empowering and incredible experiences, um, from watching those women find and build that community to inspire other women to join them. Um, and then to get to be to be able to provide the platform to do it was really pretty um, awesome. And I guess you know if there's a way to do it with people of color, I like I'm just so open to any idea. Yeah, um, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I mean it doesn't. I mean it doesn't just have to be women either. Like you could no. I'm. I yeah. want. I'm obviously I'm passionate about getting women at to our events to to mm -hmm. to gravel. Um, I am, but I'm more passionate about the community that we that we're building, um, and that definitely includes men and you know every every other form of human being. I want them at the start line if they want to be there, um, and just how do we do that? Like let's let's tackle that problem, um, and and make the world a better place to live <laughs> through gravel riding <laughs> and triathlon and triathlon. <laughs> All the but, <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I think that I hope Taylor, we can continue to have more conversations and I know you're getting ready to launch your own podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I'm so stoked for that. Yeah. Um, because I think it's going to continue opening more doors and that's, that's what, I think we need is, you know, to continue listening, continue providing opportunities. Um, the challenge that's been put before us, the awareness that's been raised. I don't want to let it die with just some black squares on a Tuesday. Like we need to keep going with this and keep pushing on this. Um, so, you know, I'm excited. I hope you come back on regularly so we can continue talking and you can share what you're learning from the community that you're reaching out in and bringing that information, you know, across the board so that we can continue growing the platform of, of this endurance sport and what we all love to be doing. So wow. there's Christy's soapbox. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think it's, it's a really exciting time to start a podcast because, you know, like these are new conversations that people are having. And I think it's, you know, people are really receptive right now to hearing more about race and like race and sports. Um, and so that's kind of what um, Max, who's the co-host, Max Fennell, um, that's kind of what we want to focus on is like, we both come from like triathlete backgrounds. Um, he's a little bit more involved with like Spartan and trail running now. Um, but just looking at like how race intersects sports in general. Um, so we're not just going to have triathletes on, but we're hoping to have, um, you know, people like in swimming and like baseball and all sorts of different sports and kind of just have kind of a conversation like this, literally like a roundtable discussion about their experience and yeah, just hear more from these people about 
what their experience has been um, kind of throughout their careers. Yeah. So I think it'll be really cool. I, I don't know if anyone's really done that as, you know, like a standalone podcast. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. It'll be pretty cool. Yeah. And also Max trail running made me think hmm, he probably would like gravel cycling too. I was just thinking that. I was like, I wonder if Max. Maybe you all could do a live party. podcast from Dirty Kanza. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> I wanted to um, ask you also while we have you on, and again, I know that you don't represent every black person or person of color in the world, so we're not putting yeah. that on you. But I do think a lot of white people are just like, we like to know what to do. <laughs> this is and this is actually a Brene Brownism. <laughs> She's like, yeah. white people like the rules and they like to know what to do. Um, and so I was actually, um, we had our first open, I'm still coached open water swim for Atlanta tri club. And we had our first swim. And one of our, um, members who is, I've known for several years was a black woman. And I was just asking her, how are you doing? And she said, you know, I'm okay, but I work on this like global company and nobody said a word to me. Like nobody said one word to me. And I've heard that actually several times from people saying nobody said anything to me. And I think people are scared. Um, but I know, like, I actually worked at a couple of HBCUs over the years, and um, which are historically black college and universities. I didn't know what that was when I first started working at those. Um, but I just learned that you have to have a lot of good conversations and be okay. Like, you're going to say something wrong and being able to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said that wrong thing. And that's even one thing I said to Taylor when we started, um, when everything was happening. I said, you have complete permission to come to me and say, you all really screwed this up or mm -hmm. you should think about this. And the, Taylor's too nice to say that to me, but you should think about, you guys haven't screwed anything up. <laughs> you should think about this in this way or that, you know, like when you said that, um, and, but yeah, like I want to know one, how you've been feeling just as a person mm -hmm. and then how you've wanted your white friends to respond to you. Hmm. Again, you don't represent everybody. You I just represent Taylor. Say, yeah. So I feel like, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting, like, few weeks. Um, um, yeah, so, like, kind of everything started to happen. And I had been writing about Ahmaud Arbery, who was murdered while he was running. And that was really, like, the first case that, like, hit me really, really hard. Um, like, I think, you know, you kind of hear about, like, police brutality and, like, there have been just incidents over the years that are, like, really troubling and, like, concerning. But I think that was the first one that kind of made me rethink how I view myself because I was like, oh, like, you know, I, I go outside, I run all the time. Like, I've ridden my bike and I've probably been, like, sketchy situations by myself, but I've never really felt like someone would go after me because I was black. And so that was like a really disturbing case. And so as soon as that case happened, which was probably like a month before George Floyd, I had started writing about it. Cause I was like, I don't really know who to talk to about this, but I feel like I need to like come to terms with something. <laughs> and so there were a couple of weeks of just kind of thinking about how I see myself, how other people see me. And then I just had to write about it because I didn't know who to talk to about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think writing has been a really good way for me to kind of process everything right now. Um, 
And I also think it's interesting that, like, I turned 30 last year. Like, it's interesting that I got to the point of 30 before I really had to, like, come to terms with the fact that, like, this is something that probably go on, like, the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Like, I may have these feelings forever. And I think, you know, it's easy when you're growing up and, like, you know, I was, like, in elementary school in the 90s and so like it was just this time of like oh civil rights was this thing that like we already went through that's done <laughs> and so it was like this weird reckoning of like oh this is just something that will always be there and I think that was like yeah that was a really stark kind of troubling realization so after I kind of came to terms with that, <laughs> um, then I felt like I might be ready to talk to people about just like race and also to like keep learning. Like I started reading um, White Fragility and I started reading like Me and White Supremacy because even though I'm a person of color, like I really think that that affects all of us. Like mm -hmm. I am part of that too. And like everyone, you know, everyone may not see me that way but like there is a moment when you realize that like oh I was raised essentially the same way as like a white person is so like there's also acknowledging that like that's I'm part of that system too so I think I've just had a lot of a lot of time to think which hasn't been helped by like quarantine and like this is just like a trifecta a perfect storm of like self-evaluation and like deep thoughts and yeah so it's been just it's been a crazy time and I know you guys are probably feeling like similar it's just a lot at once it's a lot at once <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how to summarize it in any other way it was just like it's been a heavy been a heavy few months <sighs> yeah it's been a heavy few months I think these things will make us better eventually. God, I hope so. You know, you have to go through the hard to get to, you just have to work through these things. And that's, I guess, where I feel a little frustrated, like, um, with everything that kind of went crazy on social media is then all of a sudden people are like, all, I know this isn't what all, all that people are doing, but it's just like content, 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 content. And I'm like, I'm a very, like, what's kind of the behind this? And so I've just, like like you, Taylor, I've learned so much. I didn't know all about the police unions and the power that the police unions had. Yeah. I didn't know about, um, like, when Defund the Police went out, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Like, I didn't understand what that meant. So it's just been, like, a lot of kind of getting behind things and learning um, a lot of those things. And you go and you're like, these are really systematic things, like mm -hmm. really systematic things. And actually I was talking to some friends on um, Sunday. We actually just had a, a, a police killing of a black man here um, over Friday, just two miles from my house, which Taylor stayed at in February. Um, and um, like, if you haven't heard the news, they, in the protest afterwards, Wendy's was burned down. I walked out my door Sunday morning and I could smell the smoke from Wendy's being burned down. Oh, wow. And so it was just like a, oh, this is in my backyard, <laughs> right? Um, and where was I going with that? Oh, so we were, I was with some friends and we were talking on Sunday and we were, and I was just saying, you know, the, the, 
guys that I know that are really good guys that would do anything for their neighbor that are in the police. It's almost like what I've experienced with my brother who has been in the military and come back from combat is he's paranoid of everything because he thinks there's danger around every corner from being in combat. And I feel like they have a lot of the same thing that's probably ingrained into the system of policing. And when you think about it, that doesn't make things okay. But if you're like, everybody's your enemy and that's ingrained in you and that's what's taught to you and that's the system, then that's how you're going to respond, right? And so like, these aren't like social media posts and fixes. They're deep systematic things and conversations and like being willing to go, well, I'm a little racist here in my life. And um, I said the wrong thing or, you know, whatever it is. How are you all processing it in Kansas, Christy? Because you're like very white. (laughs) I mean, I mean, you are very white. I am very white. I have blonde hair, blue eyes, and I sunburn easily. <laughs> um, no, all joking aside, um, Emporia is interesting in the fact that it's a university town, so there's definitely kind of a, a liberal component to our community. Um, there was a very well-organized and well-attended um, Black Lives Matter march that you know, everybody did the whole COVID appropriate. The police were actually part of it. Um, our police force has several um, people of color on it. So it's it's interesting because, of course, we have racism here. Um, but we also have this, and I think it's like who, who I choose to surround myself with. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are super passionate about seeing a change happen. So that's kind of the Emporia that I live and breathe in mostly. Um, and I guess that to me is the the most important. <laughs> the thing I want to see happen is like I've noticed all of these killings, um, have been very aware that they were happening and really wondering why we weren't as a society doing more about it, why we were not angry enough. Um, and of course, I think that that, that Floyd's murder being captured um, on video really raised the awareness that it's, A, it's not okay, and B, it's, it's happening under our noses. Um, so my plea with this whole thing is like, of course, you know, in the cycling industry, I would love to see more people of color represented, but I think bigger than that is that as a society, I really hope we turn a huge page now. Um, that's just my deepest desire, like to come out of the other side of the truly better humans. And, you know, I think you're always going to have, there's always going to be racism of some level for, for many, many more years because it's just so systemic and, and, and so taught. Um, you know, my, my homecoming when I was, nominated for homecoming and we picked um, our escort. I picked Troy Morris, who's still a friend of mine and he's black. And my parents didn't tell my grandparents until the night of the ceremony because they were afraid that they wouldn't come if they found out that I would chosen a black escort. Um, You know, and they came, they never said anything to me about it. 
Um, but, and I didn't even know that that, that that's how that had transpired. But, you know, my parents, I definitely wouldn't consider them racism. I'm uh, racist. I'm sure there's parts of them that exhibit that just like everybody else. But, um, I think what you said about the civil rights movement and we've been there and done that Taylor, um, resonates with me from the perspective of we've been there and we've done that. Can we please get it right? Like let's, it's time. It's time. Um, so that's what I hope of all of these, um, black lives that have been taken when they shouldn't have been. It's time for that to stop and it's time for us to do better. Um, like for real this time, no more practicing. I don't know. So, um, so my Big. last question I kind of want to throw out to everybody is, so I actually was a little, I guess I'm like an, a little bit of an optimist and I'm like, you know, believe people are good at the core. Like they want the best and like a lot of times it's ignorance. But when I saw some of the posts in um, on some of the cycling brands and the things that they came out with, like I was really disappointed, like politics has no place in cycling. I'll never buy your bike again because you've gotten involved in politics. And um, so it just kind of showed me like, gosh, there is like this divide of people want to go, well, this part of like, I can't race doesn't belong in this part of my life. Like, why do you think it's important that in the industry that that we do have these conversations? First, I would say Le Feisty is going to publish an awesome piece related to this exact thing <laughs> this week. We'll link it. Um, we'll link it in the show yeah. Hey, Taylor, why don't you link that in the show notes? <laughs> I will. Um, it's by Lisa Ingerfield, who works with Outspoken, um, which is all about, like, you know, women and diversity and triathlon. Um, but, yeah, so basically I'm going to summarize her points because – She's brilliant. Um, but she talks about why sport is inherently political. And she kind of goes through all of the arguments um, for basically, like, why you can't separate the two. And to say that, like, race is political is, like, deeply troubling. So mm-hmm. I think that that's the main thing that I took away is that, like, all of the comments around, like, like basically people who just don't want to hear it they're like oh I I don't want to hear about racism this is like my safe space to like do the things that I like and I don't want to think about that here just yeah it's a very privileged position and it's it's really hard not to get really upset about that for the people who like those things are always blind like you know what I mean especially like yeah I mean being a person of color you can't just cut that part out you can't be like oh yeah i can i can compete in triathlon but like you know the the black part doesn't that stays over here (laughs) so it's just yeah it was it's been really concerning to see that reaction from people um but i think lisa lisa's article is really it's a great one so i'll definitely link it and i I encourage everyone to to read that too because it's yeah it's great i'm excited to read it for sure I think when, you know, when I was seeing those types of posts, I, you know, the, the one thing I will say is that I definitely use the bike as the place for me to shed, um, 
and to decompress. Um, so what I, what, and so I kind of, I get, I get the angle there to some extent, but the bigger thing is, is like, just don't look at that post. I mean, if it, I don't know, it seems to be somewhat irrational to be don't reacting. Don't get mad because the company is going to hire a thousand people of color in the next five right. years. That was like on the track post. Like, I'll never buy another track bike again because whatever you've come out then with don't this. Buy a track bike. Go away. <laughs> like but, that, but there I are mean, a- go away. Go away from the space. Is like how I feel about that. Like, it, <laughs> if I want to be exclusive, that's where it comes in. That's where I f- start feeling exclusive. Like, you don't need to come into this community if that's really how you're going to feel. Um. So, because I think that that's really what I'm passionate about is that inclusivity so when I see that then I'm like don't buy a trek bike don't buy a bike go somewhere else go find another hobby I don't care um but I do I know that it's for me the bike is definitely a safe space for me where I don't have to go see a psychologist and I don't have to take meds and I don't have you know all of those things is that's how I use my bike um but that I don't I think that's different than what these people were saying (laughs) For sure, it, you know. But anyway, um, it's it was it was hard to watch, honestly. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't watch it. I just stuck my head in the sand, which isn't fair either. But that was how I coped with it somewhat. So yeah, I've taken some days of Facebook hiatus yeah. That's <laughs> just to kind of shut that out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that I would encourage people, no matter if you're in a town where you're, you're, you don't feel like you have, you know, a lot of diversity, like find some good reading material, some good podcasts. Actually, um, Seth Godin just put letter from a Birmingham, Birmingham jail out in podcast form, um, read Mm. by people of color last week. And I was listening to it and I was like, oh my gosh, Martin Luther King Jr. could have been writing this last week. Like yeah. some of these things in Letter from a Birmingham, mm-hmm. Birmingham Jail. And I'd read it, but I hadn't lis- ever listened to it. So it was really interesting. But like just find some people and listen to some things and start having some conversations. And, you know, just like, like, you know, like you said, Taylor, like I realized this with the Mod Arbery. Or I, like I realized so much with the police, you know, like I grew up in this tiny town where the police were like your buddies. And then so just realizing like they're really nasty things that are building into the system and, and cities that are causing these things. And, um, you know, um, I'm going to stay in the small towns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they have their problems too. So I'm not like, but yeah, yeah. Watching it. I'm just like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for my little, little place here in the prairie. Yeah. So. Well, Taylor's been putting a lot of really great information out on Live Feisty. That's who produces our podcast. And we have been having conversations within the greater realm of Live Feisty about what this looks like, what it looks like within our communities. It's not, it's something that we are thinking about. Um, But just to finish with a little bit of fun, you tried mountain biking last week, right, Taylor? How'd that go? I did. Oh, wow. So... Again, I'm typical triathlete where, like, I feel like I have a lot of power, but, like, my handling skills are so bad. It was so embarrassing, guys. Like, seriously. Um, I went with my friend who teaches mountain biking, essentially. Um, 
And so he was like, oh, you know, do you want to like coach this kid's camp this fall? And I was like, well, I don't think I can coach until I actually know how to ride a bike. And so he's like, okay, I'll teach you. Like, you'll probably be fine. And we literally just went like to this grass field with like a hill. And I feel like I'm terrible. Like I, 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 I'm just terrible. One, I never stand when I cycle. So like that is the complete opposite of mountain biking because all you're doing is standing. Um, and then at the end, we went to like an actual trail, which was like a little pump track. And I was literally shaking when I was done doing the pump track. I was like, this is the scariest thing I've ever done. Like, but that being said, I'm going again on Thursday. Good so, for you. Necessary, right? <laughs> Did you, were you clipped in or were you on flat pedals? No, I was on flat pedals. Okay, good. That helps. Yeah. yeah. I will say, gravel biking is not as scary as mountain biking. Not yeah. at all. I think it's just, it's the like tight turns. It, it is. There's well, a lot of like, like twists and turns in mountain biking. Yeah. And so I'm like, I, like if I have to bail out of this, what am I bailing into this bush? Like, yep, pretty <laughs> like, much you are. I've, yeah, I've run into so... a few trees. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the gravel seems more appealing because roads. I'm like, yes. I know roads that I can do. It's, but I will tell you, like, and I we when we did our little um, happy hour, mm-hmm. I said, you know, people that come from running and from triathlon to gravel, they don't have the handling skills, and yep. so that's where we see that's where we see the the most broken collarbones and things like that because you'll be fine. They, they come with this power and yeah. can do this and then they, you know, they get into the rough gravel and they don't know how to handle their bike. But you, you totally, I mean, it's, I'd love to take you around. Hey, the flat hills, so. Christy has a gravel house in Patagonia and I was yeah. like, we should do a uh, podcast planning trip. Out we should. There. And, and get into gravel bikes and there'll be some climbing and some, there'll be some rough gravel and there'll be, we can ride to wine, which is a really really beautiful ride so cool anyway well sounds perfect i know (laughs) well we have we've actually talked this might be our longest podcast episode but we christy and i both separately had said (laughs) we would like like to have well we both had thought and then christy asked taylor and then before she we could give her a chance to change our mind we announced last week that she was going to be on the podcast which she could (laughs) have cut out because she is the editor but she didn't so (laughs) Taylor, we appreciate you coming from behind the scenes and and having this conversation. And we're willing to have these conversations with people. I've, I've had some people reach out with a lot of advice. I'm willing to have conversations with people. Yeah. Um, and um, we really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was really fun. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listing platform. Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all of the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com. Mm-hmm.